0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to the 12th chapter of the letter of Romans in your New Testament, Romans chapter 12, Keala O Yesu, Keala O Yesu. I hope you're learning that that means the path of Jesus, because we've constructed over the last few years here a simple pathway that lets everyone know how you can grow as a follower or as a disciple of Jesus, and we've put it on a baseball diamond because we, we want it to be memorable, we'll have a test on that in a moment, and we want it to be, uh, convey that, hey, you know you don't hang out at first base, you move on, okay, uh, and so first base, remember what that means? Love God, okay, two past, okay, no, <laughs> Don't be shy. Okay, love God. And we love God because we're responding to his love, right? And we express that in engaging worship as well as joyful obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Second base. We're moving on here. Uh, What does that stand for? Getting nervous up here. Connect with one another. Okay? Okay. Can we say that together? Connect with one another. And, it, and we express that as we gather together in Ohana groups throughout the week. I think we have about 55% of our people in Ohana groups where people are learning to know one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another to all the one another's of the New Testament. That's where we grow deep. That's where we grow strong in our Christian faith. And so we want to connect with one another. And this morning, we're going to move on to serve the Lord, which is third base. And we're going to talk about what that means and and why it makes just good, plain sense to serve the Lord. In fact, that's the essence of of this message, and I believe of this passage from Romans chapter 12. It's a paraphrase, I know, of what Paul's saying, but I believe that that's exactly what he is saying here. It makes just good, plain sense to serve the Lord. If you're serving the Lord, you know that. You've experienced the joy of seeing fruit in people's lives and the fulfillment that it brings to you. If you haven't really stepped into a ministry, an area of serving on a ministry team, I'm going to challenge you to consider doing that. We're called to be servants wherever we are, by the way. Personally, in our families, in our workplace, uh, wherever we uh, live in that community, we're to be servants just as a way of life. But I'm going to encourage you also to consider stepping into a ministry team where you share together in ministry. Something powerful and dynamic happens when we do that. Well, I want to set forth from this passage three reasons why Paul says... It makes just good, plain sense to serve the Lord. There's an outline in your bulletin. Here's the first point. point, first reason. It makes good, plain sense to serve the Lord because that's what he did for you. Verse 1, chapter 12, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There's a whole lot in that one verse. But I want to tell you, when Greeks and Romans and Jews of the first century would have read that or heard that, there would have been some things that would have immediately caught their attention. There were words in there that related to ritual animal sacrifice. The Greeks and the Romans did that on their pagan altars. The Jews did that in the temple. The priests would offer sacrifices for them on the altar before God. And words like sacrifice and spiritual service, those would just resonate with them. They'd think, wow, but there's something different here. This is a living sacrifice. Those were animals that were slain and then placed on the altar. And so they would have understood as they reflected on this, there's some differences here and there are some similarities. One difference would be that when you offered an animal sacrifice, you only did it once. That animal was gone. He'd be consumed by the flames of that altar. But if you're a living sacrifice, it means you'd have to offer yourself again and again. And isn't that the truth? You don't just, I wish it were. Like, I made a decision, that's it. No, it's a daily kind of a thing. Sometimes an hourly kind of a thing. We have to choose to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Another difference that distinguished this from a Jewish sacrifice, for instance, in the temple, would be, that was bloody. A lot of blood associated with that. And for good reason. Because in the Old Testament, Leviticus, Moses set forth that the life is in the blood. Blood represented life. And when there was a sacrifice that was required throughout all that Old Testament period, it reminded the people that sin has consequences. And something had to give its life in exchange for forgiveness. And all those animal sacrifices pointed forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would offer his life, his blood on the cross to pay for the sins of those who would put their trust in him. But with a living sacrifice, no blood. And there's good reason for that because Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice once for all, paying for the sins and the guilt and the shame of those who trust in him. And so sometimes we think, well, our service can assuage our sin or our guilt. Oh, no. It's not why we do that. That's taken care of. We do this in response to his mercies, which is what Paul is talking about here. We don't have to pay for our sin. We can't. He did. And our guilt is covered as well. The word here for sacrifice is even interesting. In the original, he's saying, present your bodies a living, because sacrifice here can be translated Killing. Present your bodies a living killing. So what has to die? Something has to die in this passage if we're going to present ourselves as offerings to God. And that's this. Our right to choose how we live. Because that's what we want to do. We think, I know what's best for my life. I know what will make me happy. And yet the Lord says, I want you to go this way. And so we offer ourselves to him by faith and die to the right to choose how we're going to live. And that's what's in view here in this passage. But now, I want to uh, tell you a problem with living sacrifices. In fact, when Dee and I uh, had committed our lives to Christ, at that point, uh, I was uh, in sales and... uh, we had committed ourselves to going to South Africa with the couple that had led us to, to commit our lives to Christ, to offer ourselves to him. And we were going to go with them and be discipled by them as missionaries in South Africa. But there were problems with visas, and they couldn't go in back into the country. They instead went to Salt Lake City and began to pastor a church out there in Utah. And so I guess I had been in construction. I moved into sales, and things were going well. The next couple of years... Uh, I bought a new house and uh, built a new house, actually. Bought a new car, and we were doing really well. We went to a family camp on the border of Nebraska, Wyoming, and South Dakota called Neb Wildack. And there was a professor from Boise Bible College speaking on this passage. And he made the comment in that message, he said, the only problem with a living sacrifice tends to crawl off the altar and walk away. And I felt like, Oh, man, is that what I've done, Lord? I mean, I offered myself to you, and and uh, here I'm, you know, in sales. And by the way, several weeks ago I shared a message uh, declaring from Scripture that every vocation is a sacred vocation if we're serving the Lord in that context. Every job is serving God because we work for the Lord. But when God calls us into a particular area, we need to follow him in that. And I had sensed God's call into ministry and so prayed about it. And three days later, our mentor calls me from Salt Lake City and said, we had a, a meeting out here a couple days ago and, and voted to call you as my associate pastor. I said, okay. You know? So the Lord directed and redirected us there. You don't want to crawl off the altar and walk away. We do, don't we? That is so common in our experience. But you know what? We can repent. And we need to do that continually and say, okay, Lord, here I am again. And he receives us graciously and we go on from there. Well, I want to show you the reason why Paul says it just doesn't make sense to crawl off that altar. And it's in that first verse. Because service is actually tied to worship. Interestingly, first base and third base. Love God and worship Him. Serve the Lord. In that first verse, he said, I urge you, and he could have commanded us, but I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of His great mercy, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, look at this, which is your spiritual service of worship. That word spiritual is fascinating. In the original language... That's the word logician from which we get the word logical. The King James tra- Version translates it rational, sometimes reasonable. That's your reasonable or rational, or we could say logical, worship of God. Why? Because of what he's done for us. The very first word in chapter 12, verse 1 is therefore. And you know when it says therefore, You have to consider, what's it there for? What what was before it? And what is before this is 11 chapters of reasons why we should serve the Lord, why it's logical, why it makes good, plain, plain sense to do so. Because in those first few chapters of the letter of Romans, Paul sets out how sinful we are, how far from God's holiness. Whether we're pagans who don't know anything about God and we worship idols, or whether... We're religious and try to keep God's law. We fall so far short. But then he brings in Jesus and shows how Jesus has come and, and lived that life and, and given his life in exchange for ours. And in those chapters, he says things like, for the wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, therefore, having been justified or declared innocent by faith in christ we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ he says in those chapters that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus isn't that great news that's because of what jesus has done as we trust in him as we put our faith in him he says that nothing can separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus that's in there too He even says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's that and more in all those chapters leading up to chapter 12. And then he says, therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God, because of his great mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logical Worship of him. Makes sense. It makes good plain sense to do so. Now, there's not a lot, lot of good plain sense around today. In fact, common sense, I understand, uh, recently, well, uh, assumed room temperature. In fact, uh, I have an obituary of Mr. Common Sense, okay? Since says, today we mourn the passing of a beloved old friend, Common Sense, who's been with us for many years. No one knows for sure how old he was since his birth records were long ago lost in bureaucratic red tape. He will be remembered as having cultivated such valuable lessons as knowing when to come in out of the rain. Life isn't always fair. Maybe it was my fault after all. Common sense lived by simple, sound financial policies. Don't spend more than you can earn. And reliable strategies. Adults, not children, are in charge. The health of common sense began to deteriorate rapidly when well-intentioned but overbearing regulations were set in place. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. A teacher... Fired for reprimanding an unruly student only worsened his condition. Common sense lost ground when parents attacked teachers for doing the job they themselves had failed to do in disciplining their unruly children. His health declined even further. When schools were required to get parental consent to administer Tylenol, sun lotion, or an aspirin to a student, but could not inform parents when a student became pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. Common sense lost the will to live as the Ten Commandments became contraband when criminals received better treatment than their victims. Common sense took a beating when you couldn't defend yourself from a burglar in your own home, and the burglar could sue you for assault. Common sense spun over in his grave when he learned that the Supreme Court had ruled that there could be marriage between adults of the same sex. Common sense was preceded in death by his parents, truth and trust, his wife, discretion, his daughter responsibility, and his son, reason. He survived by three stepbrothers. I know my rights, someone else is to blame, and I'm a victim. Not many attended his funeral because so few realized he was gone. This last weekend, 4th of July, there were a lot of fireworks accidents. One of them, tragically, happened in Calais, Maine. A young 22-year-old by the name of Devon Staples, uh, the newspaper said this. A local man was killed instantly Saturday when he set off a fireworks mortar tube on his head. Despite efforts his friends made to stop him, state police said Sunday. I read on in the article, said he'd been drinking. I thought, well, yeah, I would have assumed so to do that. But come on, you would hope for some common sense to prevail. But there's not a lot of it around. But you know what? For believers, for followers of Jesus, we need some biblical sense. And we need some understanding that it makes just good, plain sense. If we're going to follow him and claim to be followers of his, that we serve the Lord because Jesus in John or excuse me, Mark chapter 10 verse 45 said even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom or payment for many that's why he came he could have came to be served he served us in his living and his dying if we are claiming to be followers of Jesus wouldn't we serve as he did yeah makes good plain sense to do so Secondly, it just makes good, plain sense to serve the Lord because that's what's best for you. That's what's best for you and for me. It says in verse 2, after he urges us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In the world, and it doesn't matter what century, what age, the spirit of the world is always different and in contrast to the spirit and the ways of God. And that's because we're born with a bent toward evil, a sinful nature. And we want to get along in this world and we pursue those things that we, in our self-centered thinking, believe will make us happy and fulfilled, but they're often in contradistinction to what God says, so we live in that culture, and it's a worldview that we develop, but what we need is a biblical worldview. How are we going to get that? He says, "Don't be conformed to the, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are changed, transformed, that's metamorphy is the actual words, like a butterfly's transformation. We're changed by the Word of God. That's why we need, we say, well read your Bible, yeah. That's why we want everybody in the Bible at least four times a week reflecting on it and then putting it into practice in our lives, talking about it in our ohana groups, so that we can begin to think God's thoughts and act in God's ways. Dean and Yumiko Timmerman, uh, they were part of our church for quite a while. They've they've been in Japan for several years. They've got two children now. They were back last week. We went to a picnic last Sunday afternoon where they were, and uh, Melody is about three years old now. And we asked Dean, so what language do you speak at home? He said, well, Yumiko usually speaks Japanese, and I speak English, because we want Melody to learn both languages. Let me ask you a question. How difficult is it going to be for Melody in that culture to learn to become bilingual? Not at all, is it? She's going to just naturally grow up thinking that way and being able to relate in both languages. And why do we think that we can live in a world that is saturated with ungodly thinking, we're just inundated with stuff from the media continually, and think it doesn't affect the way we think and the way we live? We desperately need transformation of our hearts and minds and to be renewed. And the word of God just pouring over us as we reflect on it is the only hope that we have to be transformed. And as we do that, and as we put into practice God's ways rather than the way I wanted to go, guess what happens? We discover that God's will for us was good. It was acceptable to him, and it was actually perfect. He said, we'll prove this in our experience. Sometimes we don't feel like it. We don't want to do that. I confess that. But if we'll choose that way, we'll look back one day and say, wow, God's way was good. It was acceptable, and it's perfect. And that takes faith to trust that he's infinitely wise I think I know what's best, but he's infinitely wise, right? And he's good. If we believe that, that he loves us, that he's wise and he's good, then we can have faith to say, okay, Lord, if this is what you say, if this is what you call me to refrain from, and this is what you call me to step into, I'll do it. And then we'll prove in our experience it was best for us. It made just good plain sense to serve the Lord because that's how He's made us. And that brings us to this third point. It just makes good plain sense to serve the Lord because that's how He made you. You were made to serve the Lord. That was the purpose for which you were made. And that's not self serving on His part. In His infinite wisdom, He knows that He's blessed, you're blessed, and everyone else is blessed when we serve the Lord here's what he said in verse 3 after urging us to present our bodies telling us to not conform to the world but be transformed he said this for through the grace given to me I say to you everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith let me pause there for just a moment so we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think is to have sound judgment. In the world, how do people feel good about themselves? What props up a self-image? It's usually because of the effort that a person puts into something, I'm a hard-working person, or the achievement that a person has, the position that a person has reached, but not so among followers of Christ Because we realize that, biblically and scripturally speaking, we were condemned by our own sin. And uh, we stood under the condemnation and wrath of God. It was only by his grace that he redeemed and rescued us. So that keeps us humble. And even our present foibles and failures remind us we are dependent upon his grace. And we can't think too highly of ourselves with the gifts that we've been given, which we'll see in just a moment, because every gift is from God, all the gifts that we have. However, we can think highly of ourselves because of whose we are, to whom we belong. And I'll get back to that in just a moment, but let's take a look at the gifts that he talks about here. He says in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, he's talking about the human body here, hands and fingers and toes and legs and arms, all these members of our body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So like there's a human body with many members, each member is different, so in the body of Christ. One body... Many members, each one of us different. And then he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Paul sets forth some spiritual gifts here. It's not an exhaustive list. There's more listed in 1 Corinthians 12, some in Ephesians 4, and even the composite probably isn't exhaustive. He's given each of us, he says, a gift or gifts to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. So we can't be arrogant about that. We've received those gifts and we realize the purpose if we're going to fulfill God's will, is to use those gifts. Because that's what he said. We'll understand the will of God. And that relates to the use of our gifts in serving the Lord. And it's only in serving the Lord that we find and fulfill the purpose that he has for us. Now, I talked about how we value ourselves in the kingdom. Don't think too highly of yourself, but... Don't think too lowly of yourself, either. Because, well, let's just go into the realm of objects. What makes an object valuable? I showed you a video clip a couple weeks ago of the Antiques Roadshow, and we looked at that old Mexican jug and talked about why that thing was valuable, amazingly. But think of the musical world. On Friday evening at our service, Sharon Cole was playing the violin, and beautifully. And uh, so I, I just asked the folks okay, think of a violin. What is the most valuable violin you can think of? What would, what would the name of that be? Stradivarius. You know that better than the love God that holds. Okay. <laughs> you have to work on that one. Okay, Stradivarius. Why? Because Mr. Stradivarius knew what he was doing, he had it down to a science. And uh, we watched the show on some channel a while back about that, the trees that he used, everything that he did, those violins immediately sounded better than anything else. And you know what? The older they get, the better they sound. That's just the quality of a Stradivarius. And, uh, and yet, now today, some people play them, but some people, as you can see in this next picture, go see them in a museum. But is a Stradivarius made for a museum? not really, you can appreciate it but you really can't appreciate it unless it's used for the purpose for which it was made and so it is with us we've been made to serve the Lord and our value is enhanced as we do so but here's the thing we are valuable for the same reason as Stradivarius is valuable because of who made us God made us. He's our maker. We know that. A lot of people don't even understand that today. We know God made us. Secondly, the price that was paid. With a Stradivarius, it was because he made him and the price people are willing to pay for that Stradivarius. For us, God made us and the price that was paid to redeem us when we fell into sin. And that was the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His life in exchange for ours. Now we're infinitely valuable, and we belong to the Lord. And because of that, we should serve him. just makes good plain sense. And when we do, we will be filled with joy because that's the purpose for which we were made. And guess what? As we serve him, the longer we serve him, the better we get. We discern uh, how to use the gifts and how to be a blessing and not take credit for ourselves, but give it glory to God. Let me close with the statement that we've used for this base. And what was the name of this base again? started with serve. (laughs) Serve. Who are we going to serve? Serve the Lord, right? Okay. We're going to quiz you next week in our last message on this. Here's the statement, okay. We joyfully serve the Lord to meet needs in our church, community, and world through ministry teams. Some of you are on a ministry team. If you're not, I would like to challenge you this morning. Don't hang around first base and just say, well, I just attend church. Or even second base. That's great. I'm connecting in an Ohana group. But don't be content there. No. Step into service. Go on to third base and become part of a ministry team maybe jot serve the lord on your card or just talk to one of us on staff and we'll talk to you about your shape how god made you and help you find a ministry that suits you and uh when you step into ministry we don't say you're sentenced to that for life no uh we want you to find the fit that god has for you and you can seek the lord in that it just makes good plain sense to serve the lord pray together. Lord, thank you for your mercies extended toward us. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for the opportunity to walk in your steps. We pray in your name. Amen.